0: Welcome to the Cyber Guy Podcast, your source for engaging cyber education, cyber discussions, and a look at current cyber news and trends with retired FBI Special Agent Darren Mott.
1: Hello, friends. Welcome to the Cyber Guy podcast. Apologies on missing a week there. I had a couple of changes in my schedule, so had to kind of push it off a little bit. But today, I think you're going to enjoy this origin story. Jason Rebholz, he is the Teach Me Cyber Guy, although he spells cyber C-Y-B-E-R the right way, not the wrong way like I do. Uh, we're going to listen to his his origin story. He has fantastic content on YouTube and LinkedIn, so uh, I look forward to talking to him. He is the CISO currently of Corvus Insurance. Uh, as always, I want to thank those who've taken the time to download and listen and follow the podcast and follow me on LinkedIn. I'm trying to branch out. I now have a Substack column that is more going to be not really a regular posting, but every once in a while, if there's a topic I want to expand on that I can't really do in 3,000 characters on LinkedIn or 2,200 on Instagram. Which I'm going to be honest, Instagram blows. I I hate Instagram. It sucks. I hope the Instagram people who own it are listening to me because your your methodology for putting stuff out there blows. But anyway, I may still put stuff out there every once in a while. Facebook is okay, but that's mostly where where my uh, more senior listeners are probably congregating. So TikTok is not happening, as you all know, that's not going to happen. So again, I thank you. And uh, just a reminder, there is, I have a new podcast out. It comes out every morning at 5 a.m. It's called the Cyber Smart Morning News Update where I go through and look at what happened during the day in cyber. I, I'm, I'm longing for the day where cyber, cyber crime and cybersecurity issues come to a halt. Uh, As of yet, I have not reached that day. So uh, there was an episode this morning, today is September 11th as I record this. Obviously a very um, important day in U.S. history. I wrote a LinkedIn post about that today where I was at the time. I was a new, uh, not a new agent, but I I was coming up on my two-year anniversary in the FBI in the Charlotte field office. And a lot of the things that the Bureau did, a lot of the things that we all did at the time changed. um, And it's a very... um, Important day in my life, not only because of 9 11, but in 2019, right before I was getting ready to retire from the FBI. Um, my dad passed away on this day as well, so I, I think of him often on this day. Uh, and I hope that you are thinking of your loved ones uh, whenever you need to. I hope you're thinking, I, I mentioned on LinkedIn, I said, um, you know, for the people that you love and that love you, give them an extra squeeze today and say a little prayer for the men that man the walls when the bad man comes. So with that, Solemn note. Let me go to our interview today with Jason Repulse. He's going to give us our origin story. I really enjoyed the conversation. I hope you enjoy listening to it. Well, it's my honor to welcome on to the podcast for his origin story, Jason Repulse. He is the Chief Information Security Officer for Corvus Insurance, but. Known to more people on LinkedIn as the Teach Me Cyber Guys. So Jason, thanks so much for taking the time to come on. I apologize. We we're supposed to have done that like many times and I kept having to postpone it. So I, I appreciate your tolerance and, and waiting for this.
0: All good. I'm happy to be here, Darren. Thanks for having me.
1: All right. So, like I, like I mentioned beforehand, um, we just kind of want to talk about how you got to where you are. I mean, I. I I, I read your stuff or watch your stuff on on LinkedIn all the time. I go to your YouTube channel because you have a lot of great stuff as far as I think we are kindred spirits in the sense of trying to educate people into cybersecurity and how to keep themselves safe. Not sure if any of it's taken, but we're trying as best we can. So how'd you get to be the Teach Me Cyber guy?
0: Yeah, well, uh, we're definitely chipping away at it. So we just we got to keep going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I, so I've had a pretty interesting journey. Uh, I, I want to say most of it was scripted, but it was more so me just kind of fumbling my way through it and, uh, and, and making the best of every situation. But it, it really starts when I was back in high school. And so uh, at that time, there was two specific events that happened that coincided. So the first was uh, I was getting into computer gaming and I wanted to build my own computers. Uh, and so I started really tinkering with the hardware aspect of it.
1: So what time what time frame we talking here? So give to get a reference of time frame when this was all going on.
0: So this would have been, uh, I would say, like early 2000s. OK, so, uh, yeah, once uh, once I started on the hardware route that got me into these games. And this was about the time when, like, how do you try to like crack games and like the serial codes and all that sort of stuff? And so, like, I started dabbling in a little bit of reverse engineering uh, and just like kind of tinkering in that that area. Um, but that was, that was just the
1: start. Okay. I'm going to stop you there because I have a quick question. So this is early 2000, yeah. an interesting timeframe, what you're talking about here. So were you part of the wear scene?
0: I wasn't. No, oh, okay. I was just a little bit late for that.
1: Okay. And I only say that because yeah. my, one of my, my, my first big case in the FBI was uh, an undercover targeting the wear scene. So you, you may, you, you may have been one that I missed. So I think mean, I could what, yeah. So clearly you gotcha. weren't. So, I, so carry on. Sorry.
0: Yeah, no, no, Uh, I never went down, uh, down uh, too far down that path where I was going to be on your list. Don't worry about that. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So uh, the other side of it, and this is really the more important part, because it really defined where I was going to go with my career uh, was I started taking computer programming classes in high school. And uh, this is where it was like the first first fortunate series of events that happened to me. Uh, I had a teacher who I still stay in touch with today, who started teaching programming in this like just small school in New Jersey, and it was just ahead of its time. And so I started programming in Java, and I could do it, but I just never really had the passion for it. And so I was talking to my teacher at the time, and he said, hey, you should look into this computer networking thing, uh, because I think you might enjoy it. And so I started doing some research on it. Uh, And I stumbled upon the security aspect of networking, and I just went down a rabbit hole. And so, you know, at this same time, I was like I was I was a nerd in high school. I was speed solving Rubik's Cube. So I loved puzzles Uh, and, you know, I was really digging into all of that. And so. I bought a couple of books on security. I read those cover to cover uh, and just completely fell in love with it. at that at this time it was also just when uh, these like little capture the flag events started happening. And so at that time it was like before you know hack the box and try hack me and all these things and it was like some random web page where it's like, hey, look at the source uh, of the HTML code, pull out a password and then log in and then you kind of go from there. And so this was kind of my first foray into to security. And I, I again, I just fell in love with it, and so I was pretty fortunate on the timing of all of this as well, because it's just before colleges started having degrees in cybersecurity, but they started having focuses uh, in there, and so I ended up going to the to the Rochester Institute of Technology, where at that time their degree was in computer networking, systems administration, and security, and so. I would say probably 85% of what I learned was computer networking and systems administration, which is the best foundation I could have asked for in learning security. And then after that, that remaining 15% was like all the early days uh, classes on hacking and you know basic defense and stuff like that. It was rudimentary at the best, but it was ahead of its time uh, for a college. So that's where I then started trying to figure out how do I get into security like profession? And so again, as luck would have it, this uh, RIT campus was looking for an intern for their security team. And at this time it was like one full-time person, there was two other interns there and somebody who specialized in communication. And so uh, I got a job there and I started running vulnerability scans against the campus. And you know, this is where I got my first taste of what it would be like to work in industry where I'd run a vulnerability scan I would send a report out and never hear back from the business owners. And so like, that was where it's like, Oh, security, when you're working in a company is hard, because it's like, in theory, everything is straightforward. You run scans, you, you, you do some things here and there, you put the controls in place, and you're secure. But like, that's just not how the world operates. And so uh, as I started looking for full time jobs, this is where like the biggest lucky thing that ever happened to me, I applied for a job I wasn't qualified for. And so this was for Mandiant, which at the time was just starting to get a name for themselves on incident response and forensic investigations. And so I applied for I think it was a senior consultant level, which I definitely wasn't qualified for. But at that exact time, the uh, the VP of services was just starting to look at hiring college hires. So I was one of the very first college hires that Mandiant had. And so I applied, applied for a pen testing job. You know, all the interview questions were all about pen testing. I show up my first day and they hand me a hard drive and say, Here you go, tell us everything that happened on that. And I was like, Okay, how do I do that? <laughs> <And> so <laughs> I started learning forensics. And uh, you know, this is one of the coolest periods for me because I was sitting in a room or an office with some of the smartest people in cybersecurity. You know, top of the game on forensics, top of the game in incident response, top of the game in malware reverse engineering. And so I was just a sponge and just soaked up as much knowledge as I possibly could. Uh, And you know, thankfully I found a passion for forensics. And, you know, I just loved it because it goes back to the puzzles. Like I love solving those puzzles. And, you know, this is where like you would go in, figure out how somebody broke into an organization uh, and then, you know, help them kind of put the pieces together and then, most importantly, figure out how to kick the attacker out, and then you know provide them a roadmap on how they can try to beef up their security moving forward. And so, for me, I was at Mandiant for about six years, uh, and you know I did hundreds of investigations into nation state threats, you know China, Russia, Iran, Syria. I uh, did a bunch of investigations in hacktivists, uh, so LulzSec and Anonymous. Uh, so I did a lot with those.
1: Were you part of the APT One report?
0: Uh, so I was there during that uh, I was not involved in the the full on research, but did a fair share of the investigation supporting it.
1: Interesting. That's fair, that's
0: fair. That was a really exciting time I'm sure. uh, for us, you know, because it was like the first time where you really had the nation state threats like becoming a around. It is something that Mandy always knew. Like we've done tons right. and tons of those investigations. Mm-hmm. But, you know there was no proof behind that. And yeah, that was like, that was a really exciting time for the company and well, for, for me.
1: Let me ask this question on that part. Cause it's simply cause I was at FBI headquarters at the same time your report came out and then they indicted the five guys in your report, which I, mm-hmm. so did, was there a lot of coordination with the bureau on that? Or did you kind of do it, do y'all do it your, I assume there was probably because I was in, so Kevin Mandia, this is going way back. Kevin, I met Kevin Mandia in 2000 and 2000, in 2000. So he was, okay. he worked with my first boss in Charlotte Doris Gardner. don't if you know Doris, but she's, a, she retired and went to Mandiant after. She read, anyway, so she knew, she knew Kevin. And, I, and so I met Kevin. And so he, he, he was a trainer for several of my FBI cyber classes when I was going through as a new agent. Um, and then mm, started okay. Mandiant and kind of, it all obviously exploded from there. So yeah, it's funny.
0: Yeah, no, it's, uh, so, uh, that uh, so there was a collaboration between Mandiant and the fbi i I think for an operation of that size and what they were able to do like that you you can't do that without some good cooperation there um but you mentioned the fbi training as well so like i early on in Mandiant, i was training fbi class as well and like that was one of like the coolest things that i did just working with a bunch of the agents and helping them get up to speed on cyber and everything and so i i think that's one of the reasons why Mandiant was uh did so well is because they had such good relationships with law enforcement and you know, you quickly realize and it's only gotten better since I've been there, um, not only with Mandy, but just with every organization that uh, works with uh, incident response, like having that collaboration between private and public, like that's a magical, magical thing. And like, that's where you actually see an impact happening. Right. Like mm-hmm. it can be. Like, and I, I went through this a lot when I was at managers. It's like you do these investigations. and It's just like, great. We helped a company, but I'm going to see these this same group next week. Mm -hmm. and it's just like rinse and repeat rinse and repeat (laughs) uh and so without like the actual action that you can get from law enforcement it's like you know we're doing good but there's so much more we could be doing
1: yep sorry sorry, i interrupted your story there so carry on
0: yeah no no all good all good so um one of the things i loved at mandiant though uh, my time there was uh financial crime and so uh this was back when like all the retailers were getting hit you know hackers break in they steal credit cards sell that for a profit and so i always loved those engagements because it was a more creative an attack that had to happen you know your your apts your nation straights they are very by the book they do some very very sophisticated things but they have a playbook and you know that's how if you know the playbook it's pretty easy to spot them and you just kind of iterate over time with these investigations and credit cards, it almost seemed like every single one was unique. And so like, still a common thread that these hackers would try to take. But you know, just really interesting how they would try to circumvent all the different controls that PCI would require, uh, and try to navigate in to get to the card data, steal it and then get it out of the network. I mean, some of the coolest investigations I ever worked were all in that sphere. Um, so you know, that's something that I always uh, just really, really enjoyed. Um, but for me, I got to a point at Mandiant where uh, you know it was it became a really large company, and uh, they're only much, much larger now. Uh, and so I wanted to get back to a much smaller company. And so I took that to an extreme and joined a company called the Crypsis group, where i I started building out their professional services team. And so this was uh, at the time that ransomware just started to take off. And so, you know for me, I'm sitting there watching it go from single system encryption. To enterprise encryption, and we have uh, this group called SamSam Sam to thank for that. And so, SamSam Sam was one of the first groups that came in and said, "Hey, we're going to break in. We're going to go to Active Directory, figure out all your systems, and encrypt them all at the same time." And that was when it was fifty thousand dollars ransom was considered an egregious amount of money that somebody would have to pay. Mm-hmm. Considering, like at the time, I think it was between five and fifteen thousand that people would typically pay for a ransom, and so. Uh, I spent the next couple of years just riding that wave and you know building out ransom negotiation services, uh, you know doing you know hundreds of ransomware investigations and just like really understanding the the ransomware ecosystem. Um, and then you know I got burned out with IR. Uh, IR is a grind, uh, and I'm a bit of a maniac when it comes to work, and so uh, I typically don't have an off switch. And so I worked to a point where I was like, I, I can't continue to do this, uh, and so I had to step back. Uh, and then I, I went on what I refer to as my sabbatical, where I actually went to a, a networking detection and response company called Iceberg and was helping them build out uh, their partnerships and, and just doing some business development work. Very different than anything I've ever done. Uh, and then that company got picked up by Gigamon about seven months after I started. Uh, and then I went to Gigamon, was doing channel services. And so kind of learned the partner ecosystem uh, while I was while I was there. And then i got the startup itch again uh, and so <laughs> i uh, i decided that i was going to co-found a company called mox5 uh, and when we initially started with mox5 uh, we wanted to be able to take all this experience that we we'd gotten just working with insurance at these you know prior ir companies because it was always uh insurance cyber insurance was a vehicle to get some of this work and so the initial premise was that we were going to do some consulting work for them we were going to help them manage their claims uh, and we never got traction on that but uh, as luck would have it we had a golden goose dropped in our lap where uh, everyone was starting to look to how do we recover from these ransomware incidents? Because it had gotten so bad that these organizations weren't able to recover themselves. They needed outside help to help them restore their systems and just get up and operational again. Uh, And so uh, using the background that I had in partnerships uh, I put together this really interesting general contractor-type model where we can come in, manage the incident, and then bring in resources, uh, IT resources and expertise to help get people back up and running. And at that very moment was when COVID hit. Oh, and so I was building yeah. a new company in the middle of COVID, and just by sheer dumb luck, because we had built out this partner network all over the U.S., we had people that were local almost everywhere in the U.S., and not really any other company could 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 do that. And so we were able to really help companies get people on site right away and get them back up and running. And then because of the incident management uh, uh, focus that we had, uh, this was something where we were able to manage very large engagements. And so we were able to help companies that were down hard, where you know thousands of systems were down. We were able to get them back up and running super quick. Uh, and so. Um, for me, uh, once I got burned out from IR the first time, I did not intend to go back into it. And yet, you know, here I am building another IR company. And so uh, after a few years of doing that, I got the team trained up and kind of you know, set the next stage of leaders in place. And I said, you know what, it's time for me to go try something else. And so uh, that's where I find myself today, where I was at a crossroads. You know, do I go start another company? Do I try an internal CISO route? Um, And, you know, I got some advice from a a friend and he said, you know, everybody loves a former CISO, you know? And I was like, great, you know what? I'm gonna go kind of try my hand at this and see what it's like. Um, And so that's how I found a home at at Corvus Insurance. And I have a very unique CISO job. Uh, It's not your traditional one. And so I spend part of my time focused on internal security and, you know, doing all the things that you would expect a a, a CISO to do. But I also spend a, a portion of my time running our threat intel team, you know, and we're a cyber insurance company. And so it's really important for us to understand where the attacks are going before they happen. And so yes, we can look at our own claims, we can read a bunch of our news, but that's after something has already happened. And so what I want to go and do is figure out what are the new techniques that these attackers are experimenting with, you know, what are how are they trying to extort victims? How are they trying to break in? And how can we get ahead of that to try to stop the incident from happening in the first place for our policyholders. And so, uh, you know, with that, we've got a team of cybersecurity advisors that uh, report into me uh, and, you know, think of it almost like a customer success team that helps our policyholders stay secure and just help them navigate all the complexities of, of security. It's almost like a little mini Vcso squad, if you will, that all of our policyholders have access to. And so for me, this was about how do you solve cybersecurity at scale across, you know, tens of thousands of policyholders versus an incident response, you're doing it one at a time. And so that's how I spend my time now is really just, you know, thinking forward, how do I protect my own company, but also how do I protect thousands and thousands and thousands of other companies at the same
1: time? Is the uh, CISO you provide to your policyholders is that a free service that comes with the policy, or is it a service they purchase off off to the side?
0: Yep, it's all included in the policies. So when you're when you're a Corvus policyholder, you have access to Corvus Signal, which for us is about you know how do we cut through all the noise that's out there in security and get straight to the point of what matters for you. And so if you're a policyholder, you get things like. Proactive vulnerability alerts. You know, we have a scan technology that we use, uh, you know, built in house for us that we can use to identify different areas that um, of security gaps. But also from a cyber insurance perspective, you know, we are very, very good at predicting the likelihood of somebody having an incident. And so we use that to see if, like, a new VPN vulnerability comes out. We have that data of who's running that particular VPN, and so we can go get in front of them and get an alert to them. And so we find that, you know, that type of service all included our policyholders typically patch three times quicker than somebody that doesn't have that proactive notification. So I mean, we try to find different areas like that, that we can really drive uh, change uh, and just be an asset and a partner to our policyholders.
1: Do you find the larger companies are better at that than the smaller companies? Or do they all kind of, they're all kind of good at it? Or do you have some that are just like, yeah, whatever. We'll, we'll get to it when we can
0: it's all over the place. You know, it's, you know, I think where the larger companies, they tend to are they're in a position where they can invest more dollars right. in their cybersecurity program. And so they're, they're more likely to try to go about it on their, uh, their own way. Uh, you know, I think smaller organizations can struggle when you know, they're not really sure how to how to handle it. And so we find that there's a lot of value there, because they can take that information and send it over their MSP and say, Hey, should I be worried about this? Are we good? Um, and you know, you've got this kind of in between area that really is uh, is, is kind of the sweet spot where they have their own teams, but you know, they're just, they're not, they don't have enough time to keep up with these things on their set by themselves. And so Mm -hmm. we find like, that's a really good area where they truly see us as a partner. Um, and because we've got the data and we've got the ability to help them there.
1: So talk to me about your teach me cyber program.
0: Yeah. So, uh, This is this came from just honestly me being frustrated
1: uh, <laughs> with the current <laughs> yeah, state
0: of cyber news,
1: as it always so
0: does. It's yeah, it's always something <laughs> like that, right? Yep. So uh, I remember this day vividly. Uh, I was uh, reading a news article. I won't say who it's by, uh, but I was reading this article and they're showing screenshots of IDA Pro, and, and IDA Pro is a tool that you use to reverse engineer malware, which is like essentially you take a program, strip it down to its bits and bytes and like try to figure out how uh, how it works. It is a very, very complicated thing. 99.9% of anyone that's even in cybersecurity is not going to be able to understand that. And that's not to say like, it's, you know, people don't know what they're doing. It's literally because it's one of the most advanced things you can do in cybersecurity. And so I'm reading this report and I was like, Why are they including this? Like, it's not, you're not doing a service to the larger populations of people who are trying to learn cybersecurity or even the people who have been in cybersecurity for 10, 15 years. Like, it's just a waste of space. And so, what I recognized was that through all my years doing incident response, uh, I I gained a a pretty interesting skill set of being able to decipher super hardcore technical things to a non-technical audience or a less technical audience and you only get you only build this by getting punched in the face repeatedly from screwing up right you know i remember one time i was uh, giving a board presentation and i just mentioned the word sql injection and then that was a an hour tangent where i was trying to teach the board what sql injection was and how that it was all information they absolutely didn't need to know but it all stemmed because i i said one word that i shouldn't have said and so You know, it's those types of situations that you just learn from. Uh, And so for me, what I try to do is just take some of these technical concepts and just get them down into something where anyone can understand it. And, you know, that was the genesis of it It is like if I'm reading this stuff anyway, as I'm building out this threat intel program, I might as well talk about it. Uh, And so that just has morphed over time where, you know, I do LinkedIn posts uh, five days a week. Uh, that morphed into videos you know I was talking to a buddy of mine Gary Riddell he's like you gotta you gotta start a YouTube channel and so I started a YouTube channel and like that kind of that led into how do you edit videos how do you you know post all these all this stuff and so um yeah I mean it's just like a very simple genesis that kind of has grown into something much larger now which is just a lot of fun to really be able to give back to the community and you know I would have loved this when I was uh, learning cybersecurity. So hopefully it's it's making an impact for others out there.
1: Do you create your video, do you do your videos yourself and edit them and do all that stuff?
0: Yeah, everything is, yeah. Uh, is just me. I'm a, I'm a glutton for punishment, but I, I just love like just tinkering with stuff and learning how stuff works. I'll reach a point where I'm not gonna be able to do it myself anymore. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's coming sooner rather than later. Uh, But I always found just like when I did forensics, like it's important for me to understand how this stuff works behind the scenes, um, because once I go to outsource something like that, uh, I just feel you're better prepared to be able to have a more intelligent conversation and get to the output that you're looking for.
1: So looking back on, let's go back to the small, medium businesses a little bit. So obviously you deal with them a lot. Um, I'm trying to talk to them on my LinkedIn stuff. I don't think it's getting, I don't think it's getting through that or I just am a horrible writer. No one cares about my stuff. That could be certainly part of the problem. But so how do we crack the nut with small business? Cause they're really small healthcare systems are getting pounded right now. Schools system, yeah. school districts, not small, but their IT cyber staff is small, right? So the, you could almost consider that piece of it a small, small business. So how do we crack yeah. the nut to get people to understand that we under, we know that cyber is going to be a cost, but the. The rate of return on that cost is going to be much greater than if you have a data breach or you have a ransomware attack or anything like that. How do we break how do you break that nut?
0: Yeah, yeah, I I feel like there's a lot of noise on why people should care, right? And mm-hmm. you know, I think at the end of the day, like people see what ransomware is. I, I think you would be hard pressed to find somebody that is in an SMB spot that, you know, hasn't heard, maybe not fully understand, but hasn't heard of ransomware. And so I think the challenge is it's it's still too distant for them to understand how does this impact me right it always goes back to well yeah that's going to happen to everyone else but not me but i feel like we're at a point now where like we've kind of crossed that threshold where somebody at least knows somebody else that has gotten hacked or Mm -hmm. maybe it's something on their personal side but the problem is is there's too much damn information and so for especially for an smb like their primary focus as it should be is on running their business and so when you have this impossible thing of, like, how do I secure my environment, right? That's really difficult for an SMB to try to figure out. And so, you know, they outsource. Well, my MSP handles my security. Well, that, like, your mileage is definitely going to vary there, right? <laughs> yep. But they don't know the right questions to ask to how to, like, validate. Is this a good MSP or not, right? Once you you get a little bit larger, like, maybe they're outsourcing security to somebody else. Maybe they have somebody who's doing it part time, you know, is it an IT person, uh, and who's just dabbling in security. And so the challenge with this is like, one, finding the right person to talk to, first of all, right? And like, who's actually paying attention? Uh, And then it's, okay, great. We know ransomware is an issue, but what do I do about it? And it can't be a 15 hour course on how to respond to ransomware, right? Can't even be an hour discussion on, you know, deep dive on it, right? And so like, I think one of the biggest things is how do we meet these companies where they are, right? And so is there something that can be happening where it's secure by default, right? Like, you know, are they, I, Windows is Windows, right? And we don't, that'll be a whole another conversation, but like, how can we get Windows into a position where it is secure by default? You know, how can you use it, whether it's M365 or Google workspace, right? How can you use something that is going to give you security by default? And I think like secure by default is becoming a buzzword, but it's like, how do we just support these smaller businesses so they don't really have to think about all these low hanging fruit, but focus on core essentials, you know, in endpoint security, email security, MFA, right? Like, though, if you can give them those three things, I think we're going to be in a much better position to stop at least, you know, Part of the attacks that are, are just coming on onslaughts to them.
1: What's amazing, though, really, I so we got and maybe you've done this yourself, but you, do you, when you go do presentations, do you ever ask the group? So how many people are using MFA? Because I know, I mean, I and if I'm, I don't think I've ever got more than fifty percent.
0: It's which is crazy in 2023, isn't <laughs> yeah. it? Yes. Like it's it's just absolutely insane. But you know, you look at look at the the data right you know when we look at claims at corvus and any other insurance carrier even though attackers have the ability to bypass weaker forms of mfa Mm -hmm. the majority of account takeovers are still those that don't have mfa enabled which is crazy it's just crazy especially how easy it is to set up mfa today
1: yeah and do you have a thing in your uh, rider in your policies if you don't have mfa you lose your coverage
0: uh, there's a whole thing on uh, on that, but it's you know we we tried to get ahead of it to say yeah. you know if you're going to get a policy with us you have to have MFA right and we'll give them all the resources to make sure that they have it the right way you know it's it's a lot easier to avoid that
1: in the first place. sure yeah so you said something interesting in the when you're doing your talk and you talked about private public sector partnership right and you know mm-hmm. I've been in both sides I've been in the public side I've been in the private side and I agree that there has to be there has to be that collaboration. I think where the problem breaks down is that the public side says they have to own it all. And they don't really let the private... I mean, I'm talking like CISA, FBI, that kind of stuff. They'll, they'll sure. share information. The problem gets yeah. into when the private sector shares information, there's never that collaboration. Okay, the information you shared relates to this that we know, but we can't tell you that because... Sources and sources and methods, right? So I think that's where it's always broken down to me, anyway. I'm curious as to your thought on that. I mean, there's certainly been su- there's been successes, right? Certainly has been successes, but my yeah. I have a I have a big issue with the way the government, and it's just, it's just a, it's for and even when I was in the government, I had the same problem with this. Is that we are not as transparent as we need to be when it comes to cybersecurity? Because you know, um, I had an example of that, and I've already oh, this, this, okay, I know it. the cyber Sa- the cyber safety review board is my biggest pet peeve with the current administration's executive orders on cybersecurity. Because they've been around now for two years. What have they done? They did a Log4j report that came out a year and a half after Log4j became a problem. Have they done anything else? I'm pretty sure SolarWinds was pretty good. Um, there's been a couple since then, because I haven't seen a Caseya report. I haven't seen a, how, okay, move it. Let's talk about move it. Have, have, have been, did, did CSRB get moved, Get sent out for move it? Maybe they have. I don't know. It'd be nice to know if they did. But I see all this stuff, all these reports. All, CISA does all the reports. FBI does all the reports about all this, these intrusion, this intrusion activity, right? What we never get at the end, and maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm not looking in the right spaces, is here's, Here's all the TTPs that were used for this to occur. And if the company had done these things, they would not have become a victim. So if you're not a victim, do these things now because this is how they're going to get in. That's my problem. We don't do that. Yeah, I,
0: I, I don't think there's anything quite to that degree. Right. right. And because I think you hit on something important, right? Uh, the TTPs are super important for security teams to be able to detect it, be able to put it in place. But the majority of companies out there, they just want to know, like, what do we need to prioritize? Yes. Right. And so I don't think like I don't think we do a good enough job in both the private and public sector of connecting those two dots. To give you an example, right, uh, even when an in incident response, there are there are, there are certain companies that are out there that will give you a 40 page document when they come on site or, you know, even if they're working remotely. This 40 page document is here's everything that you need to do to remediate the incident before they even started, right? So essentially, what it is, is like, here's 40 pages of recommendations that we've we've given out to clients in the past, and they might may or may not be relevant to you, right? Like, that is not helpful. Right? right? Yeah. So you know, how do you distill it down? And say, you know what, we've looked across 150 attacks, right? Well, again, private public I don't care who it is but like this is the information sharing we have to have across 150 attacks if you had these five controls you wouldn't have had an incident or you would have detected it or mitigated, it right like that's the type of aggregation we need. And so I think the challenge with the public sector right now is like they're in this information gathering mode. And, you know, even just over the last, you know, say 13, 14 years, as they started collecting this information, started off, it was a complete black box. It's like FBI wanted all the information. I remember these meetings finally were just <laughs> sure. like, give us all your information. And we're not, we're like, we'll, we'll tell you our names, but that's about it. Right. And so Then it started going into more collaboration, right? And it's like, great, now we're getting somewhere. We're actually sharing some information. You know, this is where FBI is coming in and saying, hey, you should look for this file name or you should look in these directories," right? Right. Like we're getting there, but it's it's very pinpoint precision, right? And again, to your point, right? Like they got to do that, you know, for all their investigative reasons, whatever, right? But we haven't done a good job of an industry or country in saying, great, now that we're learning from this, again here are the five things and, and maybe some of like the executive orders and stuff that are coming out can help i like i, I I'm, I'm a little bit skeptical on the power of, of some of this stuff because it's too vague and so it's just like we have to find that conduit of here's the information actual pure play data and i think cyber insurance can help with that and translate that down into the top five things every organization needs to put in place to help mitigate an incident not prevent just mitigate. And then, then we're in a good spot. And I think for the SMBs in particular, right, like imagine a world where you go and you get a business license and you just get a packet of one page, you're like, great, you just started a business, here's the five things you need to keep in mind to secure your business, right? Mm-hmm. Like you're going to, probably going to read that or it's just baked in already by Google or Microsoft, whoever, because that's where people are going to be using Like that's the type of stuff they're going to be using.
1: And that's the other problem, right? Is all the controls. We talk about control. Be, okay. We're gonna use, I'm going to use NIST 853. Well, how many control there? 307? I don't know. Some ridiculous number. Okay. <laughs> we'll, well, let's, we'll, let's still it down to NIST uh, 800, uh, 171. That's only 120. Nobody's doing 120. Even under the CMMC model, that's DOD is going to require dib companies to use they're never doing them all. It doesn't matter. So how do we, we need to, you're right. Absolutely right. Five, 10. I've been making this argument for months. No one listens to me, but I'm going to keep saying it. Find five or 10, start there. If you can at least do those, like understand your hardware assets, understand your software assets, have multi-factor authentication, have good software or good policy, good policies in place for whatever. Just do those. Just start there because you'll be much further along than everybody else.
0: Exactly, and let's go the extra mile to validate that, right? And make yeah. it easy to implement those five controls. Because here's uh, now you got me uh, fired up on this with all these <laughs> like questionnaires and everything, and different frameworks, right? Like you can have two hundred questions and different controls and everything that you're trying to validate against. And when somebody's coming in to actually validate that and audit it, like it is a game. It is security theater. Nobody understands what the questions are actually asking. You know, you put 10 different CISOs or engineers, whatever, in a room, they're all going to have a different interpretation on it. And you're just going to be nerding out over like the wrong thing of like, well, this was the intent of this question. It's like, no, like the intent should be clearly documented somewhere in the control and why we're trying to implement it. And you should not be going out of your way to try to convince somebody else that you're like, skirting around this and kind of meeting it but not really but like you know it's going to look really good in your questionnaire response like that's not security That's you trying to pass uh you know some somebody who's asking but you're not actually securing your your company right and it's like you can't do that with 200 controls you can't do that with 100 controls but if you can do that with 5 to 10 to 15 controls that actually matter and like gain consensus across multiple industries of what that means like We are still today trying to argue what mfa means Mm -hmm. right like that's a problem that is a that that is a big problem that there's still not general consensus of what mfa means because everyone has a different opinion on it right and it's like depending of what architecture you look at or which framework it might have a different take on it and like it's tough. Like we're 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 all trying to get secure, speaking different languages, and like looking at each other, driving 150 miles an hour. I mean, like I think we're going in the right direction. Are we? I don't know. Like that guy's 50 miles behind me, but like I maybe he's doing the right thing. Am I going <laughs> the right direction? It's just it's too much to try to tackle when you have so many of these different controls.
1: The worst acronym in cybersecurity is POAM. <laughs> <laughs> That's my. If if you don't know what POEM is, look it up, and and you'll get the joke. <laughs> Jason, thanks so much. Oh, I will say this: so if 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 you're looking for places to figure out what's supposed to be going on in the cyber world, teach teach me cyber teach me cyber guy at YouTube and where else can you find it and LinkedIn and LinkedIn and, or listen to the cyber smart morning news update. Shameless plug by myself there. So Jason, thanks so much for taking the time. We have to do, we should do this again. And I'll have a more organized set of questions and we are actually, if you can come up with like a topic that's near and dear to your heart, we can discuss it too. Cause I think, I think we've only touched the surface on stuff that you and I share a lot of combined uh, what's the word I'm looking for. Um, Combined uh, passions for that we could talk more about. All right. Thanks, Jason. I would love to do it. Sounds thanks good. Thanks
0: for having me there. Thanks.
1: So once again, I want to thank Jason for taking the time to come on and give his origin story and, and talk to me a bit about different cyber topics. We will have him on again um, to talk. We talked about, a little bit about it after we stopped the interview um, about the controls we talked about at the end. So look for that in the coming months, a conversation on what things should small and medium businesses do at a minimum. To protect themselves so we'll, we'll all work on getting that together hopefully i can get it together quicker than i did um i, I, I pushed jason around a couple of times with timing on this but uh, again thank you so much for him for coming on and talking as always if you have thoughts comments or suggestions on the podcast email me darren at CyberGuy.com. you can follow me on linkedin uh, linkedin.com slash in slash darren mott uh, look for the cyber guy on instagram and facebook but again instagram sucks i so don't go look for me there uh, and the cyber guy sub stack it's kind of new i'm still doing some stuff on that there's one post there i'll try to work on another one as the week goes on and also the morning podcast my cyber smart morning news update if you'd be so kind to subscribe and spread the word on that one i'm trying to build that one up it'll give you all the cyber news you need Need to know for the day so take a listen for that uh, and if you like both podcasts feel free to or please subscribe and comment if you are so inclined know that knowledge is protection as we go through our week know that if you can understand the threats targeting you you can assess your risk and you can proceed wisely online thanks again for listening we will talk again soon